Well, I wanted to welcome everybody today. We've just finished a very nice uh, Triangle Vegetarian Society potluck, a lot of good food. Uh, and I wanted to welcome everybody here and welcome everybody out in uh, the Internet who's listening to this afterwards. Um, we're very fortunate to have this event at the home of Larry and Arlene Green. Thank you very much for, for hosting. Uh, Larry and Arlene um, facilitate, they operate the U.S. Kinesiology Training Institute, which they do right out of their beautiful home here. And they have um, students from... Uh, other places in the country as well as some international students. So we're really fortunate to have them in our area and, and have their expertise to tap on. Today, Larry's going to be speaking. Larry's been a vegetarian since 1974. He's a certified kinesiology instructor and trainer. He's been involved with complementary health, which many people who are interested in vegetarian issues are, are interested in for more than 25 years. Um, and he's been very interested. Uh, he calls himself a student. I, I suspect the word really is master, but he calls himself a student of kinesiology since 1990. And um, originally I had asked Larry if he'd be willing to speak about Bach flower therapies. Uh, it's something which I've heard of and I really don't know anything about, and I suspect that's true for many others. And maybe we'll have the good fortune to be invited back uh, and do that talk. Uh, and, and Larry uh, called me a, a week and a half or so ago, and he said, you know, these are really tough economic times globally, and a lot of people are losing jobs or unsure about their future. So it's a stressful time for many. Hopefully uh, those of us in the room and listening aren't, aren't particularly stressed, but there's lots of stressors. So, so Larry uh, suggested a talk on uh, stress reduction for stressful times, and so that's what we're going to do. I've asked Larry if he'd be kind enough to just take a, a moment or two at the beginning to tell us what is kinesiology, and then uh, he's also going to just do a, a very brief introduction to Bach flower therapy so we know what it is, but we probably will have a, a separate talk on that in, in the future. But without further ado, Larry's going to spend about a half an hour sharing with us his thoughts on stress reduction for uh, stressful times. Thank you, Larry. Uh, thank you, Dilip. So my name's Larry Green. And like Dilip said, uh, my wife and I operate the U.S. Kinesiology Training Institute, and he asked if I would explain what is kinesiology, something I get to explain pretty regularly to people. And kinesiology uses a tool called muscle testing as a biofeedback mechanism to find out where there is stress happening for people at many levels. You can find out where the stress is happening physiologically, biochemically, emotionally, mentally, energetically. Uh, there's a chart here on our wall with the acupuncture meridian system on it. Some people were asking me about it earlier. So we work with the meridians without needles. And uh, it's a very wonderful and very comprehensive uh, set of approaches to health that work at a lot of different levels. Um, so at another time, maybe we'll be able to talk more about that, but that's a quick introduction to that. And Dilip also asked me to say a little bit about Bach, about Bach flowers, which is actually uh, a really wonderful thing in terms of stress reduction. Um, Dr. Bach was an English medical doctor, and at the turn of the 20th century, homeopathic medicine and allopathic medicine, both in England and in the United States, were both equally acknowledged and recognized forms of treatment for health and well-being and disease control. And Dr. Bach uh, knew about both of these. And from some of his experiences uh, with homeopathy, he came upon this idea that you could take uh, very small amounts of essences made from flowers and use those as remedies to help people. 
And the theory behind the Bach flowers is that each flower has a sort of vibrational quality that will help balance out an emotional disturbance that people have. So the Bach flowers are primarily used at their sort of most basic level for balancing out your emotional needs, including things that you might be stressed about. The way it's traditionally done is each of the flower remedies, there's about three dozen of them that Dr. Bach created, and many other people have created, and he created flower remedies using the local flowers where he lived in England. Many other people around the world have created flower remedies with the flowers where they live, in Hawaii, in Australia, in California, in New Zealand, uh, in Georgia, in all kinds of places. So almost anywhere you go, wherever there's flowers, you might find somebody who's created local remedies. And the remedies are to balance out the emotional aspect of what might be bothering people. And in the process of doing that, the understanding that Dr. Bach had is that when you balance out those emotional stresses and challenges, a lot of physiological problems respond very well. And indeed they do. It's a very wonderful kind of thing. And unlike things like homeopathy, the nice thing about the flower remedies are it's pretty easy for people to figure out how to use them for themselves, and there's really no downside. Uh, If you really wanted to do something that required a homeopathic course of action, sometimes there can be problems, which are called healing crises, that can come up. And it's really useful to have a fair amount of training. The nice thing with the Bach flowers is there's very little um, information or evidence of any downside to them. So people can fairly safely experiment and take them and make their own decision about which ones make sense for them to use for themselves. And there's really no contraindications, which makes it a very nice thing to work with. If you know how to use muscle testing, it can really help to figure out how to tune in to which are the best uh, Bach flowers or other flower essences to work with with people. Uh, that's a whole other talk for a whole other time. So tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about stress reduction skills for a stressful time. Uh, for those of you in podcast land, this talk is being given in March of 2009. We're just a few months into what appears to be a sort of cascading economic world problem. We don't know how far it's going to go or how impactful or how long it's going to last, but a lot of people are nervous and worried. And I'm going to talk about a couple things. One is stress in general. And there's a lot of information you can go on the World Wide Web and find lots of things that people will tell you about stress. I want to actually teach you some very specific skills that are not very well known that you can use very simply on yourself to reduce your own stress when you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed. But I'll get to that part uh, near the end of the talk. <clears throat> so um, I'm sure all of you have heard about stress, and, uh, and there's lots of information about stress on how it impacts us physiologically, emotionally, mentally, how stress impacts the immune system, how people who are stressed uh, don't respond as well when they're under courses of treatments. And there's all kinds of things being done now to help people with stress. There's both drugs on the market, there's work being done with imagery training and studies on how that can be effective for dealing with stress. Uh, Dr. Herbert Benson at Harvard, uh, probably about 20 years ago, uh, did wonderful research about the relaxation response, about how you can learn to train your body to be more relaxed and how to be less impacted by stress. Uh, When I talk to people about stress, I usually talk about that there's two sort of fundamental uh, 
approaches that people use to deal with stress. One is most of the stressors in our life are outside of us. They're your work, your boss, your family, um, the economy, your next-door neighbor, your dog who's not paying attention well and keeps running away. You know, whatever your stresses are, they tend to be external events for the most part in life. And so one way that you can deal with uh, stress reduction is to find ways to intervene in the places in your life where you're feeling stressed or stress is happening and make changes. So maybe you take your dog to a dog trainer and and the dog becomes better trained. Maybe you uh, find a way to deal with your boss differently. That might require maybe you quit your job and get a new boss because your boss is so stressful to you. Um, Or when you're done with work, you decide, well, my boss really got me angry today. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to hit the punching bag and imagine it's my boss. And that way when I go home, I won't take it out of my wife and family. I'll get that aggression out of my system. Um, Other ways that people use more um, external ways to deal with their stress, uh, there's a whole lot of them. Uh, Support groups can be really good for that. Uh, People also do things that are external things that they do that are geared to change their attitude. So things like yoga and meditation and tai chi, um, hypnosis, all kinds of things like that. And that gets us more into the second realm, which is where instead of trying to change the external world, you can change your response to stress. Because stress is really how we respond to the external world. Uh, Stress was originally... Uh, The term of stress originally um, comes from metallurgy, and it describes how metals respond to different kinds of things that happen to them. Uh, A medical doctor in the middle part of the 20th century, Dr. Hans Selye, took that term and applied it to people. And he was the first one who talked about how stress, the outer environment, impacts us in a way that changes our autonomic response to life and causes hormonal changes, muscular changes, other kinds of changes that impact us and in the process of impact us, impact our health sometimes in a negative way, impact our quality of life. And he actually pointed out what he called three stages of stress. The first stage of stress is you have a stressful event that happens. And if you think back to the time of a more primitive humans when we lived out in nature Uh, imagine you're walking around and all of a sudden a saber-toothed tiger shows up. You have to run up a tree. That's a pretty stressful moment. And what happens is under stress, there's a lot of physiological changes that happen in the body. They automatically change. They include the hormonal system, has a whole cascade of events that um, end up with adrenaline and cortisol being pumped into your blood. Your blood flow changes so that your blood flows less to your inner organs and more to your outer limbs so that you can run and fight the fight-or-flight response. Blood flow patterns change in the brain. So there's all kinds of physiological changes that happen. And what Dr. Selye said is that when these changes happen, um, if you have a short incident where you're really stressed, like you see that saber-toothed tiger, you have this whole cascade of things that happen physiologically inside the body. And when the saber-toothed tiger goes away, the body goes back to its norm. The hormonal system returns to normal. The blood flow returns to normal. Your heart rate returns to normal. It's not beating at 100 miles a minute. In more modern times, what happens is we have now a world in which we live 
where there are more and more things that activate that stress response to us. So we live by a clock. We live by the news on TV. So we know all of a sudden, all the time, instantly, all of the problems of the world. We show up at work, and if we're one minute late, we know that that could be a problem and a confrontation might be coming with our boss, or it goes on our permanent record, or some other kind of stressful thing like that. We sit in traffic, and we're not very happy with having to sit in traffic. You bought this car, it says it can go 120 miles an hour, and here you are, and it takes an hour to go one mile. So there's all kinds of things that in our life cause us stress and cause that stress response in the body to happen. And what Dr. Selye talked about is normally you have a stress response in the body, and when the stress is gone, the body returns to normal. But then what happens is you start having a whole series of stressful events in your life, one after another, and it depletes part of the hormonal system response. And so now instead of when the stress is over, that your body's able to return to normal, there's a lag time. It takes time for the system to reboot or rebuild itself up so that it can get back to its normal baseline of being relaxed. And then as you have more and more and more stresses, particularly if they're more um, impactful on how you feel about them and how you respond to them, the stresses come faster and faster. They deplete your system And the lag time to get back to your baseline gets longer and longer and longer until you have a life where you're actually in a stressed, aroused state all the time. Now, not everybody falls into that, but some people do fall into that. Type A behavior type people would be that typical kind of person you might think, oh, they're always in that stress routine. But other people who maybe appear more laid back could also be having it. And and that's what he called stage three stress. When you get into stage three stress, you start depleting your adrenals. It impacts the hormonal system. It impacts your um, digestive system. It impacts all kinds of things in your body. And it becomes harder for you to maintain high-level health and a a high quality of life. Uh, So those were sort of the three stages of stress that Dr. Selye talked about. When you start to recognize that, you can start to see, oh, maybe there's places in my life where I can start doing some interventions. Maybe I'm going to decide, you know, after work, I'm going to go and do Tai Chi or yoga or something that allows me to help the system get back to its baseline a lot quicker, get back to a place where I feel really relaxed. Maybe I'm not going to watch the news every single night, or maybe I'm not going to leave it on CNN 24 hours a day. Do I really need that much stress? Uh, So you can make choices like that. Some of them are outer choices. Some of them are choices of behavior and how you respond to the stresses. So you can also set yourself up so, oh, well, maybe I'm not going to spend so much time interacting with stressful things. And maybe, you know, there's some people I know, like my next-door neighbor who lives on one side of me, he's a really stressful guy. I don't think I'm going to go visit him too much. But the neighbor who lives on the other side, you know, that's a pretty relaxed place over there. You go over there, they give you a nice cup of tea, you sit down and relax. I think I'm going to go visit that neighbor a lot more often. So there's a lot of strategies that you can use in your own life to create a more resilient, happier, less stressed life. Some of them involve, like I said, making outer changes. Some of them involve making inner changes in terms of how you respond to your stress. And I want to talk some about those parts right now. So some of the sort of traditional ways that people think about doing that are things like doing hypnosis, doing the... um, the relaxation response, deep relaxation, 
Um, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a really big fan of progressive deep relaxation. If you can learn how to do that, you can do yourself a world of good. It's a really, really wonderful skill. I'm not going to teach that tonight, but it's a really wonderful skill. Uh, any other kind of thing, maybe you have a hobby that you really enjoy, that when you have that hobby, you just sort of get lost in it. The Greeks actually had two different words for time. One was chronos, where we get chronology, which is the time that we count forward linear fashion. And the other was kairos. And kairos is a subjective time. And in kairos, you're in a space where you're kind of in a timeless time. It's when you get involved with something, like you're doing something that you really like, and all of a sudden you looked up and two hours have passed, and where did the time go? And that's a really great way. If you can get lost in time like that, that's usually a very um, a very good way for stress reduction if it's a positive kind of thing for you. So finding different ways that you can do that for yourself, whatever works for you, playing guitar, uh, maybe watching your favorite TV show. You know, some people have a favorite TV show that for them is really relaxing. Um, so there's different things, and each person gets to find their own strategy that works best for them. Uh, I've sort of lost track of how long I've been going. Okay, great. So I want to teach you guys a few things tonight that are skills that you can learn for yourself to help you feel less stressed. And once you learn how to to use them when you leave here or when you're done listening to the podcast, you can use them for the rest of your life anytime you want. And they're really great skills because they can change neurologically how your body responds and how you feel about being stressed or other things like that in a pretty short period of time. And the first one I want to teach you is called uh, emotional stress response, which we often talk about in kinesiology as ESR. And part of the concept of ESRs are that like I talked about with when you're under stress, there's a series of physiological changes that happen in the body, one of which is blood flow in the brain changes. The blood flow in the brain when you're under stress, the blood flows less into the frontal part of your brain where your critical thinking, your ability to come up with new solutions, your ability to think things through resides. And there's a larger amount of blood that goes into the back part or the lower part of the brain, which is often called the reptilian brain or the more primitive brain. It's the more uh, instinctive, reactive part of the brain. When you're under stress, it's actually harder to think. Have you ever noticed that? And what happens is there's physiological changes going on in the brain. Blood flow changes, and with the blood flow changes, the frontal part of the brain actually sort of like the dimmer switch gets turned down on the lights. It's not functioning as highly. The focus of the body and the immune system in the brain is let's activate the part of us that is geared for when that saber-toothed tiger comes. We don't have to think. We just get up and run, and we're all focused on running or fighting or whatever we need to do because that's our hardwiring from evolution. With the ESR technique, it's very simple. What you do is you take your hand or your fingertips and you hold them on the middle of your forehead or you can put the fingertips on the middle of the forehead, and you hold there just very lightly. And I'll invite you all to practice this in a minute. And you can do a couple things with it. One, just the process of holding here helps to activate the frontal part of the brain and helps to bring the blood flow back into the brain. And when you know this, you'll start noticing that people intuitively do this. You watch the news and you see people who are stressed out on the news, and they're sitting there with their head turned to the side and they're hand on their forehead 
or holding their forehead in their hand, and they're intuitively helping to activate their frontal part of their brain, which under stress has now been sort of dampened down. We can use this in a very conscious way. So I'm going to invite you all who are here in the room tonight to think of a stress in your life. You don't have to tell any of us what it is, but just think of one stress. And I'm going to invite you for the very first time you practice this, don't pick the very biggest stress in your life. Okay? You can go home and practice this later. You'll have lots of opportunities. But what I'm going to invite you to do right now is just think of one stress. And one of the things that we often do with the people we work with and when we teach this work is to have people rate, do a self-assessment on themselves of where they are with their stress or their pain. So I'm going to invite you to think about that stress. And on a scale of 0 to 10, with 10 being it's really, really stressful, highly stressful, and 0, there's no stress at all, I want you to give it a number of what's true for you right now in terms of that stress. So when you think about that stress on a scale of 0 to 10, you feel like you're a 7 or a 6 or a 4 or a 10 or whatever the number is. So does everybody have a number for themselves? Anybody not have a number? Okay, so what I'm going to do is invite you to close your eyes and place your hand on the middle of your forehead or the tips of both your fingers on the middle of the forehead or whichever you like and just hold there with light touch. And while you're holding there, I'm going to invite you to take a moment to think about your stress and just notice the story around your stress. Notice how you feel about it what you think about it, your opinions about it, how it happened, how it's unfolding, what you imagine it's going to be like tomorrow. Now, just what we've done can already start the process of helping you to de-stress, but I'm going to give you another tool that you can use with this. While you're holding there, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are the filmmaker of a film. And you're going to make a film about your stress. And in this film, all of the actors and characters have to do all the things you say because you're the director. So the people have to say the lines you tell them. They have to stand where you tell them. If you tell them they have to get out of the picture, they have to leave the picture. And I want you to take that stressful thought, that stressful situation, and imagine a movie where the whole thing becomes resolved in a way that you're really, really happy with. So it doesn't actually have to be something that fits reality. In the movie, if you don't like your boss, you can send him to the moon. It's your movie. But I'm going to invite you to make a movie where the stress gets resolved in a way that you're really, really happy with how it gets resolved. And as you make that movie, I want you to watch the movie in very great detail. Notice all the colors what the people are wearing. Notice the sounds. Notice the tactile sensations, how things feel. Notice the feelings, the emotions that you have. Notice even the smells and the taste of everything in the movie and put yourself in the movie and watch that movie through. And once you've watched it through once, I'm going to invite you to watch it through another four or five times. And each time that you watch it through, the movie can go faster and faster. And it can speed up. 
until it's going through very fast, but the mind is still getting all of the details of the whole movie where your stress is resolving itself in a way that you're really happy with. And once you've watched it through a bunch of times and you feel ready, you can take your hand off your forehead and open your eyes, and we'll continue from there. Okay, so if you're still working on this with yourself, that's okay. Uh, I'm going to just go around the room and ask everybody who's wants to, and you don't have to do this if you don't want. Um, first, I'm going to ask you to rate on a scale of 0 to 10 how you feel about your stress right now. So when you think about your stress now on a scale of 0 to 10, what number would you give it now? And I'll just go around and ask you to tell us what the number was at the beginning and what the number is now. So if it was an 8 before and now it's a 3, you would just tell us that. If it was a 6 before and it's still a 6, you could tell us that. So, okay. So you can see what it would look like and it went from a 3 down to a 0 or a 1. Oh, great. Okay. Well, it's your your stress, so you get to decide what number would you like to give it. Okay, so it started at like a 9 or an 8 and now down to about a 3. Okay. Six or seven down to about a three. So from a four down to a two or a three. Okay, so from a four to a three or a two. So it didn't take very long. It's a pretty simple process. And now you can use this over and over and over again on different stresses. Some people find, you know, or some sometimes it'll go from a high number down to a very low number. Sometimes it only goes down a small amount, and sometimes it goes nowhere. But it doesn't hurt, and it doesn't take very long to do. And as one of the people said, they can now imagine, oh, this is something I can handle now. Whereas before, maybe they were thinking it was kind of not so easy to handle. So it's a really simple skill. And what we just did using the ESR, the Emotional Stress Release Technique, is by holding on the forehead and imagining a new outcome is sort of resetting neurologically the system to, to have a whole nother view, a whole nother idea about how we can respond to that stress. So we haven't changed the outer world. If your stress was about your boss because your boss is a difficult boss, tomorrow morning at work he's still going to be the same boss he was today. But what you may find is he doesn't bug you as much anymore. And what some people come back and tell us is, you know, I did that ESR thing about my boss and I went to work and for some reason he started being a nicer guy. You know, maybe the boss starts responding differently to you because you're putting off a different attitude or a different energy also. So it's a really simple skill, and I use it a lot, and I recommend it to people to use a lot. You can use it sitting at a stoplight. And now just imagine if for the next 30 days you took one stress in your life each day and took 60 to 90 seconds to do this how less stressful you'd feel in a month from now. Wouldn't that be cool? Okay, great. So I want to teach you another stress reduction skill, and this one is called Cook's Hookup. Uh, It's a little different. It's a way to calm yourself when you're feeling really roused up, uh, over-energized, It's good for insomnia. It's also a great thing to teach for little kids because you can teach it to little kids in a way that it's like a little game. 
And for some little kids, it will make a huge difference for hyperactivity. Yeah. My wife is coaching a little bit, but she has a great story about how she taught this to, she used to work in a chiropractor's office. A woman came in one day with a child who was just bouncing all over the place. Very, very hyperactive child. And Arlene, my wife, taught the child how to do Cook's Hookup, which I'm going to explain in a moment. And the child just settled down. And a few years later, she was in the grocery store. My wife was in the grocery store. And this woman came up to her and said, do you remember me? And Arlene said, "Uh, sorry, I'm afraid I don't. She said, you taught my child that Cook's Hookup technique? It made a world of difference for him. And I've taught it to all of his teachers ever since, and they've all thanked me for it. So it's a really great thing that you can use for your kids, but also when you're feeling all wound up, all over-energized, you know, overwhelmed, your wheels are spinning, that you just need to settle down quickly, this is a simple thing you can do for yourself. And here's how you do it. You start by putting your left ankle over your right ankle. So you just cross your legs, and then you stretch your arms out and put your left wrist over your right wrist and interlace your fingers with the thumbs down. Thank you. Now you can leave your hands stretched out like that and your legs stretched out like that, or if you want, you can turn your arms in and bring your hands in close towards your chest. And while you're holding like that, you're going to do a specific breathing pattern. And that is when you inhale, you take your tongue and you touch the roof of your mouth. And when you exhale, you relax the tongue. And just do that for a couple of minutes. So we usually do this part for two minutes. So when you inhale, touch the top of the roof with your tongue. And when you exhale, just relax the tongue. This is something, while people are still practicing, I'll just talk a little more. This is something that you can do anytime that you're feeling overwhelmed. If you're having one of those days when time is flying by and you don't seem to be getting anything done, when you just need to calm down, relax a little bit, kind of like take your own little tea break. The tip of the tongue touches the roof of the mouth when you inhale, and then when you exhale, you can relax the tongue. Okay, so after we do this for two minutes, we didn't quite do it for two minutes. There's a second part to it. Leave the feet the way they are, and then take the tips of your fingers and touch the tips of your fingers together. And while you're touching the tips of your fingers together, if you want, you can uncross your feet, depending on who, who you're getting this training from. Some people don't all agree about how to do it. And then you keep doing the same breathing pattern. Of when you inhale, the tip of your tongue touches the roof of your mouth. And when you exhale, you relax the tongue. And you do that for another minute. So you're just touching the fingertips to one another. Now, the way I explained it to you is how I first learned it. I've met other people in the field of kinesiology who have a slightly different take on how to do this. I was told you put your left ankle over your right ankle. You stretch your arms out, thumbs down, left wrist over right wrist. Some people say it doesn't matter which ankle and which wrist go over each other. People should do whatever feels natural and comfortable to them. Since I've met people who subscribe to both ways of how to do it, 
Some say it always has to be left hand and left wrist on top. And other people say, no, it doesn't matter. And they both, both sets of people seem to feel like they get good results with it. I'll give you the information and let you choose for yourself how you want to do it for yourself. But either way, you still do the breathing part the same. As you inhale on both the first and second parts, tip of the tongue touches the roof of the mouth, and when you exhale, you can relax the tongue. Pretty simple. And you can teach kids to do this. So it's a nice little game. Uh, you know, you can just say to them, hey, let's play this game. Let's see if you can do this with me. Um, so the next time you have a hyperactive kid that you need to help them, and you can teach them how to do this. And actually, kids love to know how they can have some control over their life. Sometimes they know that they're out of, you know, they're just bouncing off the wall, and they would love to know a way to be able to stop themselves from doing that, but nobody's ever taught them how they can. So the last thing I want to teach you that's, yeah, I want to teach you one other um, technique that's a pretty simple thing to do that's really, really great for stress reduction and for calming down your system really quick and easy. And it comes from yoga. And it's called Nadi Sudhi. It's a type of breathing practice. And with Nadi Sudhi, what you do is you take your hand and you make a gentle fist. And with thumb you... Use on one nostril, and I usually use my right hand. So when you close off the right nostril, and you exhale through the left side. And then you inhale through the left nostril, and then you switch which nostril is open and closed, and you close off the left nostril with two fingers, open the right, and exhale. And then you inhale through the right, And then switch which nostril is open and closed and exhale through the left side. Then inhale through the left side. Then switch which nostril is closed and exhale through the right side. And you just do an easy rhythmic breathing back and forth like that for a couple of minutes. It's very relaxing and very soothing. And it's a wonderful way to calm yourself down. And again, it's a simple skill. It doesn't take a lot of training or practice. Anybody can use it. They've used it for thousands of years successfully in India and in yoga. Uh, And I have found lots and lots of times that it's a wonderful way for me to just get myself centered and calm. And when I'm feeling stressed, it's a way that I can take control of the stress in my life, feel more relaxed, feel more centered, feel more the way I want to be rather than feeling overwhelmed or stressed. So besides the kinds of normal things that you can learn by reading most books on stress, there's three specific techniques I just taught you. The emotional stress release, Hooks hooks Cookup, excuse me, Cooks Hookup, and and Nadi Sudi. So they're great tools. I hope you'll have the chance to use them. And at this point, if anybody has any questions or comments, uh, we can open it up. It, it doesn't matter if you feel the pull. Yeah, so it, was, it wasn't so much of a question. It was a comment that uh, Joseph made that when he was doing the second part of the cook's hookup with the fingertips touching each other, he could feel a pulse, and he found it to be very relaxing, and it felt really good. And he was asking, first he was just stating that it felt really good, and he was wondering if it's, you're supposed to feel a pulse. You, it doesn't matter. If you do, you do, and if you don't, you don't. It's not a right or wrong way to do it. 
Uh, I don't usually feel the pulses, but other people might very regularly. But if you got the result, that's the key thing. If you came to me and said, oh, I'm doing the technique differently than you taught it, but I'm getting the result, I don't care. If you get the result, that's the main thing. They could stand alone. Oh, so the question was about starting with yoga, that yoga is a whole lifestyle, a whole uh, prescribed approach to living that is geared, I'm going to expand a little bit on what you said, but it's a spiritual discipline and a lifestyle discipline, including dietary um, recommendations that are vegetarian-oriented. And so the question was, are the things that I was describing, do they stand alone or are they really part of a larger system? And I think the question is, are they sort of required to be used within that system or can they stand alone? I'd say they can all stand alone. And the systems that they come from have a lot of really great stuff to offer. So if, it, if you feel inclined to it, great. Um, I've been a yoga teacher for a long time and w- one of my main teachers, I remember talking about people who would come to class who just wanted to do hatha yoga. They just wanted to do the physical exercises, which is just a very minor part of what yoga is all about. And one of the things this man said, who was a, a well-known guru, was that let people come and take the class, and if they just do the physical postures, they just do the asanas and the hatha, maybe in a year or two, as their body starts to get more aligned and a little lighter, they'll start to naturally want to gravitate towards a finer quality diet. And I've seen that with people. They start doing hatha for various reasons, and as their body starts to purify, as some of the kriyas start to uh, move out of the system, people start to naturally and spontaneously feel like, oh, you know, I think I want to learn to meditate. I think I want to stop eating meat. I think I want to embrace some of the other training. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed, I've been teaching yoga since 83. One of the things that I've noticed is that in the last... um, 10 to 20 years, there's all these new kind of power yogas that have shown up. Ashtanga yoga and Bikram yoga and um, a number of things that don't strike me as the traditional kinds of yoga in that they seem a lot more oriented towards physical culture and kind of aerobics and things like that. And at first my sense was, well, those things aren't really traditional yoga. But who's to say that they're not as adequate or just as good or not the perfect thing for somebody. So when I know somebody's going to go do Bikram yoga or do Ashtanga, my sense is if they're doing it, maybe it's the perfect yoga for them and who's to say that it only has to look one way or that each person's own unfoldment has to look a certain way. Some people come and say, I'm going to start doing yoga first and become a vegetarian second. Somebody else says, I'm going to be a vegetarian first and then they don't start to do yoga until a few years later. Whatever helps to get them to where they want to go, uh, I'm going to support it. Is that helpful? So, so the question was, when we made the movie while we were doing the emotional stress release, how does that work or what's happening by making the movie go faster and faster? One of the ways to understand it is that the subconscious can process things very, very fast. 
When you make the movie the first time, it's best to make it in great detail and see everything as clearly as you can in terms of the colors, hear the sounds, notice the feelings and the tactile sensations, involve all the senses, and be in the middle of the movie as best you can. As you watch it, the second and third and fourth time, you can make it go faster and faster because the mind can process it a lot faster. So each time it sees it, it's still, it's like laying down a whole new set of neural pathways in the brain about when I think about this stress, let's say the stress is my boss. And in the movie, I made the boss all of a sudden shrink down to only six inches tall and have an inferiority complex. Okay, because my boss is such a jerk that that would just be justice. And each time I watch it, it sort of lays down and reinforces some new neural pathways in my brain. Now, it doesn't change the boss, but it changes my response to him. So now when I think about the boss, I'm like, oh, he's this little pipsqueak with an inferiority complex. He doesn't bug me so much anymore. I don't respond in the old way that I did to him. So the first time you watch the movie through, it helps to make it really clear more to the conscious mind what it is you're doing. And each subsequent time you do it, it reinforces it, but you don't have to watch it in as much detail. You can if you want, but it seems to be just as effective to watch it faster and faster. And this is a technique, the movie part is a technique from something called neurolinguistic programming, NLP, which has a lot of wonderful training and techniques and things they've developed in it that are wonderful for how we can take charge of our life and reestablish our mind and our being in ways that will be happy and fulfilling and empowering to us. The holding the forehead comes out of kinesiology and putting the two of them together, they seem to, they seem to support each other in working even more powerfully together. Okay, we have any other questions or... Sure. Um, I wanted to ask you a question, Larry, and that is about stress. You know, we talk about lots of reasons to move towards a plant-based diet and ethics, environment, and um, human health. And one thing which you, you, you know, there's a lot of empirical evidence, but we don't really you know, we don't have proof for it is, uh, you know, people talk about when you eat meat, especially factory farmed meat, there's a lot of stress that was in the pig or the cow. Mm -hmm. And then that comes to the person. And and you hear a lot of people talking about this, that, oh, I used to eat meat. And once I gave up that meat, I feel less stressful. I'm not aware of any studies that definitively say that. But um, um, how would that play into some of what you're talking about in terms of stress reduction techniques. Again, trying to steer it again towards diet, but uh, in addition to what you're talking about, moving towards a, a more peaceful and a, you know, a less violent diet. Uh, great question. I'm, I'm not aware of any empirical studies along those lines either. My sense is, particularly with factory farming, with animals, they dump a lot of weird chemicals into them. They give them hormones and growth stimulants and other weird stuff. I've even heard heard that they feed them near the end before slaughter cement to make them weigh more. So they're giving the animals all these weird chemicals and those weird chemicals are being put into their tissue and then when you eat that tissue, you're getting some of those weird chemicals also. The other thing that I often think about is at the moment that the animals are slaughtered, 
there's so much fear. And when you eat the meat, biochemically, you know, whatever fear is triggered in terms of chemically in the body, you're picking some of that stuff up. And then there's also our belief systems. I mean, if your belief is that eating animal-based diet is not good for you, then doing something that's intrinsically against your heart, I think, is going to be stressful. Any other questions or comments? That also comes from kinesiology. So the question was, I was saying that the three things I taught, the emotional stress release technique, cook's hookup, and the yoga breathing come from different systems, and where did the cook's hookup come from? That comes from kinesiology. That was developed by somebody in the field of kinesiology. And uh, let me just ask Arlene, my wife, so she teaches a lot of the same things I teach. If she has any comments or anything she wanted to add, maybe I forgot to say something important or useful or... Okay. 